Well, good morning, everybody. A few of you are awake out there. That's good. That's, that's good. How, how's everybody doing? Yeah? Doing all right? Okay. All right. Sun's shining, right? It's not raining? I think the flood warning is over <laughs> at this point, but uh, no, that's good. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Harris. I am the lead pastor here at Celebration Center, and we are so glad that you decided to make us part of your Sunday morning. I, I know that you could have done so many other things, but the fact that you are here gathering with us and our community um, says a lot. It means a lot. And, and so thank you. I want to thank you for being here with us this morning. We are in a series right now, and we're actually wrapping this series up this morning. But the series we are in is called Other. We're in this series called Other. And here's the big idea that we have been working off of on this series. To be a Christ follower, here's the big idea. To be a Christ follower means that we live other. We live other. What does that mean? What does it mean to live other? Does that mean that we're weird? Does that mean that we just do things completely opposite? No, it it means that we are different. It means that we live differently from the world around us. Not that we're not in the world, not that we're not engaged with the world, not that we, we don't care about the world, but that we do things differently than the way the world does. Our lives are directed in love toward God and toward other people. So we're looking at this through the lens of 1 Peter. We've been in 1 Peter for the last three weeks and and four weeks, including this morning. And in the first part, we began looking at the mission that God has brought Christ followers into. If you are a Christ follower, did you know you you have a mission? And and no, it's not like the Blues Brothers were on a mission from God, okay? Um, We are on a mission. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ... You have a mission. And the mission that we looked at was from second, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where we are told that if we are in Christ, then we are a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? That sounds a little bit weird. What it means is that we are a group of people who have been brought into Jesus, and we have been released into the world. We've been unleashed in the world to represent God in all of his love, in all of his goodness, in all of his grace, in all of his mercy, giving all of those things away to the world around us. That's what a priest does, but that's not all a priest does. A priest also brings all of the hopes, the fears, the the joys, the pains, everything in the world back to God in prayer and in work. So there's this two-part aspect to the mission. It is to represent God to the world, but it is also to bring the world to God. Okay, that, that's, that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. That is our mission. In the second part, we moved from that mission idea to how do we live other within our society? How do we live other in our culture, in our families, in our workplaces, our schools, the places that we play, the places that we hang out at? Everywhere we go, how do we live this other life? And what we found was that it, it, it requires us to align our lives with the gospel, Not the gospel that, hey, someday we're going to die and go to heaven, though there is a reward for anybody who is in Christ. I I don't want anybody to hear that there's no reward. There is. There is a reward, but that is not all there is to the gospel. That is a part of the gospel. 
The gospel is that Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, has been crowned as the reigning, ruling king of the world. All right, And so the entire world is to be brought to him and in love and in service. And, and we get to line our lives up with that truth, with that reality. Now, does that mean that there aren't things to overcome? Does that mean that, that there aren't things that we need to deal with or our hardships? No, of course not. There's all kinds of things. And there's lots of things that are still disjointed. We can look around in the world around us and see that all around. We, we can see that around us. But the truth is that we are called to line our lives up with the fact that Jesus is king. To live in that truth, in his love. So that, that was part two. We saw that in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Last week in the third part, we looked at what it means to live other in suffering. We looked at, 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 at the fact that our suffering, when, as Christ followers, when we bring our, our lives and, and into subjection to God and, and uh, service to Him, then what He does is He brings all of those things that we suffer, the, whether it's persecution or it can be any myriad of other things, He brings those into Jesus and then He uses them to transform us, but then also to transform the world around us. And so suffering isn't something to be avoided. Something, suffering is something to actually be embraced. Not like, oh, yay, I get to suffer today or anything like that. Okay? But, but embraced because it, this, is, this is the path. This is the way that God brings redemption in and to the world. And we looked at uh, the fact that in order to, to live that out, we have to have the same attitude. We have to have the same mindset that Jesus had in his suffering. That was uh, 1 Peter 4.1. And if you missed any of those messages, I encourage you, you can go to ccpuallup.com. You can click on the sermon podcast link and you can listen to that and get caught up. It would be good for you to do that. But this week, we're going to wrap up the series. And here's our main thing that we're talking about this week. To live other means that we are committed to community. To live other means we are committed to community. Show of hands, how many of you realize or can see whether you watch the news or listen to the radio or whatever, um, or read the papers, that, that we live in a nation that is very, very disjointed right now? Any, anybody recognize it? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's all around us. You can't escape it, okay? Community is not something that is doing very well within our nation, not as a whole, okay? Not in the world around us. I once did premarital counseling with a couple who wanted to get married, and I've got to admit, the, the, the lady who was there was much more excited about the process than the guy was, all right? But as, as we got into our premarital uh, counseling sessions, what I discovered was that this young man had been talking to a whole bunch of guys at his work and the, all of these guys were counseling him to keep his finances separate from his fiance because when they get divorced that's that's how they put this when you guys get divorced there's going to be a whole lot less problem for you financially if you keep this separate so this guy he claimed that he he loved this this woman and that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her but he basically had one foot in the relationship 
And, and from all of the horror stories he was listening to and he was, he was taking in to himself, he also had one foot at the same time out of it. How many of you know that when we have one foot in and one foot out that we're basically out? <laughs> right? Think about it. We, we, even if we don't physically leave, mentally we're checked out, aren't we? I know I am. I know that happens for me. And I called this guy on this point and I told him that. I told him so. Now, why would I use that story? Because when we leave the back door of a quick escape route, whatever that is, whatever that escape route might be, maybe it's not finances, maybe it's something else. When we leave a back door open for an escape route, then eventually we're going to take it. Eventually, we will take it. If it is an option, we will take it. Many times, this takes the form of us making some requirements on people. Something we use as a measuring stick. Something that if they don't measure up to this level, then we're out. We're free. We're gone. And it can be communicated to them or it can be uncommunicated to them. But it's an expectation that if they don't measure up to, then we're free to leave the relationship. And when we live like that, then relationships primarily become transactional. It's a quid pro quo. What am I going to get out of it? I'm only here as long as, as I get what I want out of this relationship. And as soon as I don't get what I want out of this relationship, I'm free to go. But that's not what God calls us to. That's not, that's not the vision of community that God calls us to. Part of being different from the world and yet living in it as God's kids is that we are committed to community. We're committed. Commitment means that we're there 100% of the time. It, it, not that it always feels good, but it means that we're all in. We're bought in to the community. We're not transactional about our relationships, especially our relationship together as a community of faith, but rather we're transformational. We're transformational in our approach to our relationships. We're in them for the long haul, for the sake of the people around us. And what we discover is that the longer we're in this, as we help to bring change to other people, what we discover is that we ourselves become changed. God begins to do some crazy, amazing things in and through our lives. So how do we get there? How do we get to that vision of community where we are in it for the long haul, where we are helping one another? There are three things I think that, that Peter brings up in, in 1 Peter 5. And we're going to look at these things. He's going to talk about leadership. He's going to talk about followership. And he's going to talk about what happens when the two of those are working together. Well, so we're going to pick it up here. Um, number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, we do have some on the back by the sound booth if you want to get up and get those. You, you go, feel free to do that. But number one on your outline as, as Peter talks about this, uh, we, we find that we need to lead with persistent love. Lead with persistent love. That's number one on your outline. 
I remember being in the Boy Scouts long time ago, not in a galaxy far, far away, um, but I was in the Boy Scouts, and uh, the troop I was in, it wasn't a large troop, it was, it was kind of small, but we had, I think, oh, at the time, I, I think we had two or three patrols. Patrols in, in the Boy Scouts, they're, they're a small, they'd be like a small group inside the bigger group of, of, of Boy Scouts, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that. But these patrols would vote on their leaders. So the boys would actually vote on who got to be the leader of the patrol. All right? And when I got to a point where I was able to be voted on, oh man, I went into full campaign mode. I did. I wanted that position. I thought it would make me look cool. I thought it would, it, that, that I would be more popular, that I would have more influence. I, I did. I'm ashamed to admit it, but that's what I was thinking when I jumped in there, and I wanted to do that. So I, I campaigned for it. But you know what? I wasn't in it so that I could help others. I was in it for me. I was in it for, for what could happen for me. And we've all experienced leadership like that, haven't we? Maybe we ourselves or we've seen other people who have been in it to serve themselves for what they get out of, out of the position, out of the authority that they have. They're in it for themselves. They're not for, in it for anyone else. That's the typical structure of leadership in the world. That is, a de- that is an issue that is dealt with all the world around us. It doesn't matter what nation you're in. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter what values you have. This is an uphill fight all of the time. Because when people are left to their own designs and desires, we gravitate toward what promotes me. Right? But that's not what God wants. That's not God's vision of leadership. I'm going to uh, pick it up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you, uh, feel free to open up there. I'm going to read out of the NIV. The, the words will be up on the screen so you can follow along. Here's what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders. To the elders. Now, I want to pause here just for a minute because this term for elder has two, it, it's got a double meaning. First of all, it literally means those who are older, Okay. So these are, are, are guys who are, are literally older than everybody else. But the second part of the meaning is, is that they're in leadership. All right, now in, in the first century, lots of times, leadership fell to the older people. This is how the, the, the social structure worked. Okay? Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering. So Peter is he's appealing to these guys on the basis of their commonality. Hey, I, you're older, I'm older. You're a leader, I'm a leader. Oh, and yeah, by the way, I am a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. The, the witness there has two, again, it has, there's a double meaning there. First of all, it's that he's physically seen what Jesus suffered. He's, a, he's an actual witness, a life witness to what happened, kind of like I've seen uh, the, this last summer, actually, I watched a car blow through a red light and, and slam into another car. I was a witness. I saw that happen, okay? But the other part of the witness here is that he's a participant. He's not just one who has sat on the sideline. He's been in the game. He's been part of what Jesus has been doing. He has experienced the very sufferings 
of Jesus himself. He goes on, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So there's a prize waiting for us. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock. Here's, here's, here's the call. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, there's a few things here that Peter is, he's talking about that, that, that are kind of in the background a little bit that I want to bring out here. First of all, Peter is contrasting two ways of shepherding. The, the way the Bible talks about leadership, it talks about shepherds, okay? Shepherds are, were people who were supposed to be caretakers. They were supposed to be people who were protecting and, and, and working for the benefit of, of the sheep. That's what a shepherd was supposed to do. And so God applied this, this imagery to the leaders in, in Israel and then also in the church. And, and Peter here is contrasting two different ways of doing this kind of leadership. The first one is based on Psalm 23 and the second one is based on Ezekiel 34. In Psalm 23, we see God as the good shepherd. I love, the, this is one of my favorite psalms. You've probably heard it uh, at, at funerals or, or even on the TV. It, it gets quoted in, in um in different programs and all kinds of things. So it's a fairly famous one. But it's all about how God deeply loves and cares for his people. And he leads them. He never leaves them. He takes them from place to place. He feeds them. He waters them. He makes sure they get the rest, but also that they're going where they need to go. Okay? He is the good shepherd. That's Psalm 23. Ezekiel 34, on the other hand, is God saying to the leaders of Israel who have been in it for themselves at this point in Israel's history, he says, you're out. You guys have, have been using my people for your benefit. And my people have paid the price to make you fat and happy. That's basically what he says there. He says, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to set up my shepherd who's going to take care of my sheep, my people. All right? So, so Peter is contrasting two different ways of leadership here, a good way and a bad way. The second thing Peter is doing is that he's calling the leaders within the churches to pattern themselves after the good shepherd of Psalm 23. That's what he says. He says, be like this shepherd. And no wonder, he saw this firsthand. He heard it from Jesus. Jesus in uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, addresses the disciples and he says, you've watched how the leaders of the Gentiles rule over them and, and subjugate them and, and kind of weigh them down. Not so with you. Don't do that. Instead, if you're going to lead, you got to serve. You come under. You lift up. You carry people you love them. You become a slave to all. That's what Jesus says. So Peter is calling the leaders in these churches he's addressing to this particular pattern. And then the third thing is that they're going to get a reward. 
Their reward isn't immediate. Their reward isn't in the here and now necessarily. And, it, and it's certainly not the, the quid pro quo that we see uh, in the world around us. It is, it, it's with Jesus. God has this, this prize, this uh, reward for the leaders later on. So it requires them to be in it for the long haul. So Peter calls leadership to serve in willingness, which is voluntarily under God's direction. All right? To serve in willingness, to serve in eagerness, cheerful readiness. That's what eagerness means. Be eager, be cheerful, be ready to serve. And then to be examples, embodying the faith, hope, and love that we're called to. Living this out within the community and by doing so, encouraging the rest of the community to live in the same direction. This is the leadership we are called to. If you are a leader in the church, now Peter is addressing specifically leaders in the church, but I want to expand this a little bit. If you are a parent, you are a leader. Okay? If you are a teacher, you are a leader. <laughs> all right? If, if you have any influence over anyone at all, you are a leader. And the leadership you are called to, that I am called to, is this good shepherd style leadership. Where we're not in it for ourselves, but we're in it for those around us. We're in it. As, and, and giving love to them and to God. And we can grow in willingness, eagerness, and, and being an example as, as we avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit who will work in us. He will make us into all that we need to be as he guides us. How do we get into the transformational community God has in mind for us? We begin by leading in persistent love. Demonstrated through willingness, eagerness, and living as an example. Okay, that's the first thing Peter talks about. So that's number one on your outline. Number two on your outline. We need to follow in persistent love. We need to follow in persistent love. I once knew a guy who spent a lot of time complaining about his leader. He, oh, he, had, he would joke with this, his leader. He would be part of the team meetings. He would smile. He would do all of that. But behind his leader's back, he would literally roll his eyes. He thought he was better than his leader. Not only that, but he was going to other people, talking about his leader, tearing his leader down within the community. And influencing other people to go his direction. Have, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever done it yourself? When we grumble as followers, sometimes there is an element of jealousy involved, right? Where we want the position that somebody else has. We want their influence. We want to look like they do. And so... We're tearing them down in order to, to get what they want. But beyond jealousy, 
Many times, we're also just demonstrating an an attitude of entitlement. Entitlement is focused on what is owed to me. And entitlement says, I deserve better just for showing up. I'm here. I deserve it. You see, that's the world's way of following. But God calls us to a different vision of followership. Here it is, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Just the first half of this one verse. There's a lot here. In the same way, Peter says, in the same way. So he's just addressed the leaders, okay? And he says, just like the leaders have this pattern that they need to follow, so there's another pattern that, that, that needs to be followed as well. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. You who are younger, and what I want you to see here is those who are following. That's who Peter's talking to here. You who are following, submit yourselves to your leaders. Now, I want to be absolutely clear here. Following does not equal being stepped on. All right? The submission here that Peter is, or yeah, that Peter's talking about is not about, hey, you know what? Just make yourself a mat. Lay down. Let people walk all over the top of you. That's not what he's talking about. Because following actually means being a helper. When we follow this way, we are following with a persistent love for the sake of someone else. So let me ask you this. How are you at being a helper? I have to ask myself this question. I've got leaders in my life. I, 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 I am a follower, okay? There, there's, an, there's part of my life where I follow. And I have to ask myself, how am I doing at following? How am I doing at helping? Am I lightening the load of my leaders or am I burdening them down? How do we get into the transformational community God has in mind for us? We need to follow in persistent love demonstrated through submission and service. Submission here, again, it's not about being a doormat. It's about voluntarily putting ourselves, just like the leaders are supposed to volunteer. (laughs) They're supposed to step up and say, yes, I will serve for the sake of someone else. Followers are actually doing the same thing. We're following for the sake of someone else. Notice that both leaders and followers are about serving for others' benefit. It's it's a relational dance we get into where one isn't more invested than the other, but we're both invested 100% to each other. That's the leadership-followership dance that happens for the good of each other. And when that happens, then together, when that's working well together, then together, number three on your outline, we guard the community. We guard the community. To be, to be committed to the community, we've got to lead in persistent love, we've got to follow in persistent love, and we've got to choose to guard the community. I... Um, 
Have you ever been around somebody who has talked poorly about their spouse? Not even necessarily in front of their spouse or directly to their spouse, but you've just heard them say kind of not really great things. I, I remember I was working for the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, this was, oh gosh, 20 years ago or so. And I heard uh, an electrician, he was just talking in a, in a group of guys and he started talking about his wife. And many of the things he was saying about his wife were not very flattering. You guys, this kind of action, whether it is done to somebody's face, where we are tearing them down in their ears, okay, in their minds, or we are simply tearing them down in our own head, in our own thought processes, That is opposite to what we are called to here in guarding the community. That's tearing down instead of building up. That is tearing apart the community. When we are focused on the things that we don't like, when, we're, when all we do is play over and over in our own heads, what we wish was different, we're tearing down the community. That's what we're doing. But when leadership leads with persistent love and followers follow in persistent love and we're building each other up, we are guarding the community. We're building it up. Here's what Peter says, this, picking back up in verse 5. All of you, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What does it mean to guard the community? The first part is to be humble. The first part is to be humble. Literally thinking less often of myself. When I am busy thinking of me, of my wants, of my needs all of the time, it leaves no room for the people next to me. When I do that in, 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 in the context of my home, it doesn't leave room for my wife and for my children. And, and so the house becomes, in, at least in my eyes, it becomes about me. In humility, I, it's not that I don't think about those things, it's that I think less about them. I am less concerned about them. And what Peter says here is that you can take all of what you're worried about and cast it on God because he cares about you. You don't have to worry about trying to make happen what you think needs to happen so that you will feel secure or, or whatever else. Be focused on the other. That's what he says. Be humble before others for the sake of community because without the community, we're nothing. Be humble. But also this in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Be, in other words, pay attention and be ready for action. Pay attention and be ready for action. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This, 
standing firm in the faith has the element not only of what we believe, which is important, okay, but also determining to live out our faith in love, being faithful. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter says, pay attention and stay ready for action because your enemy is looking to destroy you. He's looking for opportunities. He's looking for ways in. The question is, are we giving him ways in? In the things that we think about, in the things that we talk about, in the activities that we are engaged in, are we giving opportunity for the enemy to come in and to destroy us? Or are we being sober and ready for action? Are we, are we paying attention? You guys, when we live the way Peter just talked about, God will give us all we need to stand firm. He gives us what we need. Sometimes we're afraid to step forward in what God has because we're afraid, oh, well, I don't have enough. Maybe I won't, I won't get enough. Maybe God won't provide. But here's the deal. God doesn't call us to certainty in those areas. He calls us in, in certainty in our decision to follow, to love, to live. And as we do that, as we move forward in that, he gives us what we need when we need it. We are committed to community when we lead and follow in persistent love. And then when we work together to guard the community. This is part of living other. And this is the really personal, this is a really personal part of, of this. It's demonstrating love, whether you are leading or following or some mix of those things. Demonstrating genuine love to the people around us by serving for their sake, not for mine, not for yours. Committing to community. What might happen here in Celebration Center? What might happen? What could happen? If we committed to living this way with each other, would we deal with all, would we still have to deal with hardships? Yes, we would. We're humans, <laughs> right? We're still, we're still on earth. We're, we're still dealing with all kinds of things. I still have things that I wrestle with in my own heart. I know you do because you're sitting here. You're not, with, you're not in present with Jesus, <laughs> Okay. But what might happen? What, how might our community be transformed if we committed to engage in this? In living this way, in leading in persistent love, following in persistent love, and guarding our community together. Not shunning the world, but making sure that love is the central theme of everything we do. What might happen? What might happen in Puyallup, in South Hill, if we did this, because I'm telling you, we live this way and it's going to get out. It's going to get out. It's going to be like a bucket that gets overflowed 
right? And it just, as you're carrying it, it just sloshes out everywhere. That's, that's the way life is going to be. This kind of life is going to slosh out on our neighbors, on the people we work with. Everywhere we go. What could happen? I want to have Jake come back up. We're, I'm going to pray for you. We're not going to sing a song. I just want to take a minute as we wrap up this morning to pray. Because this is challenging. This is challenging for me to follow in persistent love, to lead in persistent love, and to guard the community because I'm human just like everybody else is. And I know that God is calling me to personally to, to a higher standard of, of how to do things, of, of the way that I engage the people around me. And I know that he's calling you to the same thing. He's calling all of us to this other way of life. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, you tell us you tell us to come to you. You invite us to come to you. You say that all who are weary and heavy burdened to come to you. And that you will give us rest. God, I know that the temptation is to take this word and, and to, to say, man, I got to do better. I got to make this happen. But the reality is that we can't make this happen on our own. Unless you are in it, unless you are guiding us, unless you are leading us, unless you are taking us where we need to go, we won't get there. So right now, Lord, we just open ourselves to you. We ask you, invade us. Invade us, Jesus. Give us your strength. Give us your power. Give us wisdom. Teach us to live and to walk like you to lead as you led in service, to follow as you followed the Father and you, and you lived in submission. God, let us do that in our community and in all things, help us to guard it vigilantly with love. Lord, thank you Thank you that you are present to us, that you are present with us. Empower us to live other, we pray. Now maybe you're here and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you want to. I'm going to say a prayer, just make it your own, Okay? God, I want to be part of your family. 
I want to live life as you've designed it. Because I've lived it in my own way and it's, it hasn't worked out great. Things are not going well. So I invite you into me. I pray that you would take me into you. Make me your child. Lord, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, I, I ask that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them, that by your spirit you would build them up, that they would experience knowing you and you knowing them, this love relationship, God that you would release them into all that you have for them to be and to do, God. And again, Father, for all of us, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways, God. We give ourselves to you. We give this community to you here at Celebration Center, and we give our larger community of South Hill Puyallup to you, God. Have your way in us and through us. Let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, we ask, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys... This call to live other is desperately needed in our culture right now. Okay? It's important. I want to encourage you. Walk with Jesus. Listen to what he says. Get together. Learn from each other. And live other. Let's do that this week. If you guys need prayer, come on up. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to just connect, if you just want to talk, I'd love to chat with you. Come on up. I'd love to do that with you. But go this week knowing that you are loved. Okay? You're loved by me. You are loved by God. And you've got a community that loves you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you guys next week.